Howdy robots, Hannah here, and welcome to this episode of Remedial Studies, subtitle Hannah Yells About Comics. I am by myself today because Rachel is on vacation, so until she's back stateside, you will have to enjoy this late episode from me by myself. It's very scary recording by yourself. I don't know if you know this, but you have to do all of the work. Today, I am going to talk about Jim Henson's The Storyteller, Sirens, Tale 1 of 4. This is from the Arcadia imprint, which is an imprint of Boom Studios. It's written by Bartas Cyborg and Jacob Rebelka. I really am sorry if I did not pronounce those names correctly, especially the first one. They are both Polish. This first tale is The Mermaid and the Fisherman. It is allegedly a Polish fairy tale. I cannot really corroborate this, but there is the Warsaw Mermaid, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a bit, but I do want to tell you a little bit about Bartosz Stibor, who is the writer. He also does writing for short films. But the first thing I want to do is talk about the Arcadia imprint and a little bit of industry stuff. So Arcadia is an imprint of Boom Studios. They were acquired in 2013 and they are the home of the Jim Henson Company property. So anything that Jim Henson came up with, it's licensed by Arcadia so that they can make comics out of it. And The Storyteller is one of those properties. It started life out as a television show in the late 80s. It didn't do very well in terms of actual viewing numbers, but I think a lot of people, from what I can tell, really look back fondly on this show. It was a little bit before my time. I was born in 1991, and both iterations of the show had completed by then. I think there's less than 20 episodes total of actual content that aired on television. But Arcadia also has the titles Mouse Guard, Rust, and The Realist. So I don't know if you're familiar with any of those. I am not. And of course, Boom Studios is one of my favorite companies. And they do uh, Lumberjanes and Giant Days. Those are the two comics that I've read by them that I love very much. It's also kind of funny that Boom Studios is still considered an indie company. I don't know if that should really be the case. I don't know that it's good enough anymore to just consider to consider anything that's not Marvel and DC to be quote-unquote indie. I get where that instinct comes from, but I'm also not sold on that being the case. I think every industry struggles with that. What is their definition of indie? What does it mean to be independent? And I don't have a good answer for that. So I'm going to let you ponder that. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about our writer, Bartas Cyborg. I'm so sorry, Bartas, if this is not how you pronounce your name. There's a lot of Z's. I appreciate that. Mr. Cyborg, he is a script writer and he has done a couple of short films. And their English titles are The Food Chain Complexity in A Forested Grounds, Simper Fidelis, and The Rope. 
you can follow him on Twitter at cyborg underscore rights. And I can't really get a good handle on this guy or the other things that he's done because all of his stuff is in Polish. So can't tell you too much about him. The artist is Jacob Rebelka. He has a Tumblr, so you can kind of get a handle on his art. And he also has a website, shzrebelka.com. And that links out to his Tumblr. So if you want to check out his art before you spend the $4 on this issue, uh, you could do that. Rebelka, he does Judas, which I have not read and I'm not familiar with uh, at all. But it kind of seemed like I saw a review and it was like, if you like these other comics with these sort of sacrilegious religious themes, you will also like Judas, which I suppose is no real surprise. So one of the things I did was I checked out other reviews of this comic from some other websites and I'm going to kind of summarize what I found and then I'm going to talk about the actual comic. So Comic Book Core gave it a 9 out of 10. They did miss a major plot point so I don't know how much you want to trust them. The But Why Though podcast website they had a review by Max Funky and he called the comic Melancholy which I would agree with and rated it a 4 out of 5. And then there was one from Do You Even Comic Book by Danielle Lucas, who said that the main character did not have enough depth, uh, and she also addressed the limited color palettes and called the art juvenile. There are a couple of things I want to kind of talk about, like from... Her review, from the Comic Watch review, from the Batman's Bookcase review and Outright Geekery, the things that came through is that a lot of people weren't sure about the art. And I found that really strange because I thought the art was really beautiful. I don't know if it's just because the art has more flat areas in it, more flat areas of color, if they just aren't used to that. I did not really find it juvenile. But, yeah, I don't know why people were not immediately sold on the art. The other thing I want to talk about is this idea of the characters not being developed enough. I think it's pretty typical in fairy tales to sort of fill these things in with broad strokes. And the other thing is that it's a one-issue comic, so you've only got so many pages in which to work. So, I don't expect to know everything about every character by the time I finish the first issue. Especially in a one-off thing like this where you're telling disconnected stories. I don't I don't really think that's the point of fairy tales and I don't really think that's the point of one issue comics is to really dive in with the character development. I mean there's a lot you can do in the 30 or so pages, but at the same time like you got to acknowledge the fact that that's a limitation of the medium. Um, so that's my thought. General reception was very good, but I don't know why people were so picky about the art. It was so strange. And it's not like people were too, were really hyped up on the art or anything really critical at all. I mean, most reviews really focus on the plot, which I'm going to do next, so I can't really, can't really throw any shade. But I just wanted to kind of address 
that as part of my research. But the comic itself, let's, let's talk about the actual comic and put the other reviews and the industry stuff to the side for a second. So this comic opens with this fisherman. He is a very grumpy Gus. He fishes all the time. He doesn't spend enough time with his family. He's always trying to make extra money because he wants to save up for a beautiful ship, like a, like a caravel. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is in his like little rowboat type ship. It's not, it's not a fancy boat. He wants a fancy boat and he will not be happy until he gets a fancy boat. And his wife is like pleading with him, like we have enough money, we have enough food. Sure, we, we have a modest kind of living, but we're making it, we're getting by. Like spend some time with me and your daughter and your daughter has this amazing talent, and why don't you listen to her? And he's like, no, and he's like, I have to go fishing, I'm never going to make my goals, I just got to go fishing all the time so I can make lots of money. And of course, he's not really going to make lots of money doing that. So one night, he has spent all day fishing, and he goes back out, and he comes across this mermaid. The mermaid is singing, and it's so lovely, and he's finally happy for the first time. So of course... What he does is he leaves his family and chains up the mermaid and listens to her sing all the time and loses all connection with life. So that's not great and it doesn't go well and eventually he's sad again. And I will say that this is this is being framed in the format of the show, The Storyteller. So you get these cuts into and out of the story where this man is sitting by the fire telling the story to his dog. Uh, the sections, the framing sections where this is the, the storyteller and the dog are in a very warm red, orange, and brown palette. And the mermaid story is in a blue and a green palette. The interesting choice I think it's made by the artist in terms of the color palette is that some characters' hair is actually is the only thing that breaks with the palette. So uh, sometimes the fisherman's beard, his hair comes up red, his daughter's hair is a brighter yellow, and the mermaid has kind of a yellowy orange hair. And there's also a pirate, and she has like really bright white hair. Honestly, I kind of want a whole comic just about the pirate. But anyway, I don't want to ruin the whole story for you. That's kind of what the summary goes up to, is, is the capture and imprisonment of the mermaid. There's basically a moral. Oh, the thing about the hair. So all of these characters have this orangey hair, and I feel like that kind of ties this trio of people together, the people with the orangey hair, which is the mermaid, the fisherman, and his daughter. And that becomes important later, I think. Why the pirate has such white hair, I don't know, but it's very visually striking, so perhaps it's just an aesthetic choice. I couldn't tell you. And I do think the color palette really contributes to this melancholy. There are some scenes where the colors are muddier, and I think those are the saddest scenes. And it's just like, depending on the deepness of the colors and like what's going on, the vibrancy even, I think it really kind of ties into some of the sadness stuff going on in the plot. From a thematic, like, moral, imperative kind of thing, there there's this idea that always relentlessly pursuing more and more and more, 
and ignoring what's closer to home, which is your family and your loved ones, and this pursuit of happiness or success is obviously, you can't find happiness that way by doing that. So, I mean, I think that's true to a certain extent. The interesting thing to me is that this was based off of a Polish fairy tale. I could not find a fairy tale that matched the details of the story exactly. There are a lot of different fisherman mermaid fairy tales on the internet with no real good sourcing, so that surprises no one on any account, I think, as fishermen seem to be the most likely to encounter mermaids, fishermen, and sailors, and princes. But there are a couple of different versions. There's a version that reads a lot like the fisherman and his wife, but instead of a magic flounder, it's the mermaid. There is an allegedly Welsh version where a fisherman catches the mermaid and lets the mermaid go, and she warns him in return. She warns him that when there's bad weather and saves his life later. And then there is what I think this story is actually based off of, which is the Warsaw Mermaid. And I did not know there was a Warsaw Mermaid until I was researching this episode. There's an old story in Warsaw where one day fishermen notice something is causing disturbances. They're releasing the fish from the traps, tangling up the nets so they don't work. And they plan on catching her, the animal. They think it's an animal. But one day they hear the singing, because mermaids sing a lot. And it's beautiful. And they fall in love and they leave the mermaid alone. Except a rich merchant traps and imprisons her. The mermaid is calling out in distress. And the fishermen rescue her. And then she protects the city. So this shield of Warsaw, Poland is a mermaid with a sword and a shield, which is probably one of the better kinds of mermaids out there. There's some additional detail that comes out later, kind of added on later, is that she's the little mermaid sister, and there's an alternate explanation for why there is a Warsaw mermaid, and it's that a mermaid helped the lost prince, and he founded the city in her honor. So thank you to a web archive version of the story from the Warsaw Poland Tourism website. I think this brings us to an interesting point about these traditional mermaid tales. It's a pun, because mermaids have tails. Anyway, you see, when you see mermaids, there's almost always, at least in European fairy tales, I don't want to speak for other cultures really, but in the European stories, the selkies and the mermaids are often trapped and kept, imprisoned to further male happiness. And I do have to wonder about that. I mean, it inevitably doesn't go great for the man. The selkie or mermaid uh, escapes or is released because he no longer... She no longer makes him happy anymore, or he's used her all up, or whatever. And that's really a lot to unpack, right? Because you have this thing of beauty, and now you have captured her, and kept her from the things that make her happy in order to further your own happiness. And that is, I think, 
a capsule of not all but a lot of domestic husband and wife relationships especially pre suffrage i'm gonna say pre-suffrage in america i don't know what the equivalent would really be in europe and britain since they are still under monarchies but there's some voting i don't understand international politics well please forgive me but i think that's a good sort of like cut off time period type thing and you know i don't think that's really the point of this comic at all to address any of that sort of baggage that's really tied up in gender but i think it's really hard to talk about mermaids without kind of addressing some gender politics in that the traditional mermaid is always a beautiful young woman she is tempting and or destructive in the case of greek sirens that sing they're ugly though that's the thing and their relationship is almost always defined by the protagonist of the story, which is inevitably a man. Which is why I'm excited to see them do a selkie story with no men in it whatsoever. Because the traditional selkie story is, is typically defined by a man falling in love with a mermaid. Or a selkie, I'm sorry. He falls in love with a selkie. He steals her seal skin and then she is trapped as a human being, cannot go back to the sea, and has to be his wife. And that's gross. So I guess there's this underlying grossness to these mermaid stories that I think I instinctually recognized but could not articulate when I was younger and first being introduced to these fairy tales. Interestingly, the Little Mermaid sort of works in, in reverse, right? There's a woman desperately trying to be a part of this man's world, and she turns into seafoam in despair uh, when he doesn't love her, which has its own set of issues that I don't think I want to get into today. The last thing I kind of want to, I haven't read this, but I do want to mention that there is an Oscar Wilde story called The Fisherman and His Soul, where a fisherman falls in love with a mermaid, and she says that he can only be with her if he gives up his soul. And he does this. So I will probably check that story out later, but I just find it so interesting the way that this fisherman-mermaid relationship is probably one of those motifs that is all over the place. I don't know if we really acknowledge those stories outside of The Little Mermaid, but there's an Oscar Wilde story. And I also want to talk about how, at least it seems like on Tumblr and maybe the artist community more broadly, I've been seeing a lot of reworkings of mermaids that I've enjoyed a lot. Because you get a lot of, traditionally you get a lot of skinny, white, you know, ethereal type mermaids. And lately I've seen a lot more uh, mermaids of color. I've seen more male mermaids. I've seen mermaids of different body types, which is really cool. Maybe some older mermaids? I'm trying to remember. But I really like, I really like that, the taking the image and diversifying it. I think that's really cool. I mean, there's so many different options in terms of, like, 
combining fish with people that you that you really can't run out of like versions and I always love to see a new mermaid version. I never get tired of that. I also like the idea that I've seen where people turn the mermaid into sort of this defenseless, I don't know how defenseless traditional, it really depends on the mermaid how defenseless they are, but this sort of like soft defenseless, you know, easily imprisoned creature and making them sort of like fierce, weird, murderous creatures. Because you're always going to have some mermaids, you know, dragging sailors to their deaths in myth stories. I don't know where that line really goes in the more recent past, but I feel like that is sort of in response to this constant motif in a lot of these fairy tales where men are always sort of capturing and using these humanoid female characters to further their own ends or satisfy their own desires without acknowledging that they have any. So it kind of tidies everything up if the mermaid just eats the man. So I get that. I do feel that on a visceral level. So thanks for bearing with me today, guys. I think everyone will be glad when Rachel is back. We're going to talk about the first two books in the Court of Thorns and Roses series. So book three really doesn't matter, in my opinion. It's the first two books are really the good ones. I haven't read the latest releases in that series after the third one, I'm going to be honest. But we're going to talk about the first two. So we'll get to talk a lot about young adult lit, which I'm excited about, or I guess new adult lit. We'll talk about that. But if you uh, like the show, please rate and review. We really appreciate that. A rate and a review can, can fuel us for a year. Uh, you can also tweet at us at Remedial Studies. You can follow us on Tumblr, remedialstudiespodcast.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Remedial Studies. And you can email us at remedialstudiespodcast at gmail.com. So I hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And until next time, bye robots.